Hello. There it is. I was so uh, so taken by that introduction, Michelle. I forgot to turn my mic on. Thank you for that. My goodness, I've never been called a positive heckler before, but I'll I'll receive it. It's helping the preacher, right? You hear something you like, you say amen. You say that's good. You say mm-hmm. Okay. So if if you hear something, just you know, let me let me know you're with me. I may have set myself up, though, because if you're really quiet, I'm going to know this is not landing. So just stay with me here, okay? I am, I'm so, so thankful to be with you. I was thinking um, just this week that it was about a year ago that I heard about this church in Kansas. And what a year it's been. It has been just a whirlwind for our family as we've relocated here. And I have to tell you, I am profoundly grateful that God has called our family here and truly, truly grateful for the way that you have received us into your family. So thank you. You applauded for me. I'm going to applaud for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, just your, your embracing of our family. We're grateful to be here. Hey, Christmas is a, is a birth story. And for some people, birth stories can be hard. And so as we reflect um, I, on Christ's birth this morning, I just wanted to take a moment to mention that if you are struggling this morning and the last thing you want to hear is about how another baby came into this world or how someone was pregnant, I, I want you to know that, that God sees you in that pain, that he loves you, that you are not alone, and I am praying that you would sense his comfort this morning. When I was 26 is when I found out that I was pregnant, that I was expecting our first child, and I was so excited. I had, you know, been around my sister who had had a baby, so I kind of knew what to expect, but I still found myself incredibly surprised by pregnancy. Did you know that people are nicer to pregnant women. This is like a proven fact. They offer to lift things and carry things and do things if you're pregnant. I was also surprised by the amount of control that this tiny baby fetus could take over my life and in turn what used to be this lovely, relaxing morning commute into a daily challenge to not throw up in my car. I was, I was surprised most of all, I have to say, by, by how much I enjoyed the nesting stage. If you're a, a mom who've had babies, you know this, that there is this instinct within you that as you get closer to the time where you're going to give birth, you need to clean and purge and organize every inch of your home. I was dusting off shelves and cleaning out closets that I had not touched in years. For some reason, it would be unacceptable for this baby to arrive unless all of my yearbooks were stacked, cleaned, organized by year. <laughs> Made no sense, but I had to do it. And don't get me started about the nursery. Whew. Man, we have, um, you know this already, we pride ourselves as DIYers. You heard about the floor. So this was in the beginning of our life together, and so we had done some work to our home, but that nursery became our magnum opus. We painted and decorated, Dan put together furniture, we had crib and, and a rocking chair, we were preparing this place, and, and this room was so special to us, not because of the aesthetic that came together rather nicely, I must say, 
But it was because of who we were preparing for. I've been thinking a lot about Mary. During this Advent season, when we rehearse this Christmas story over and over again, we put Mary up on a pedestal, don't we? we what faith to hear this news from the angel to believe the unbelievable. What courage to face a pregnancy at such a young age. What a remarkable woman that God would call to bring his child into this world. But, but rarely do we think about Mary just as expecting mother. What was the nesting stage like for Mary? I wonder if she had some ancient Near Eastern version of a bassinet in the corner of her home in Nazareth. Surely we can assume that she cleaned and organized and prepared for this child to come. You know, similar to this nesting stage that an expectant mother goes through, that's kind of what Advent is, right? It's a season of preparation where we are purging our hearts of all of this clutter, preparing to receive all that Christmas has to offer. And it, it's so much. I mean, Dan shared last week, the wonder of Christmas is available to us during this season. And, and we could go down the list of, of different emotions that we experience during this time. Nostalgia, peace, hope. But what I wanna reflect on this morning with you is the joy of Christmas. Joy, joy, you know, there's joy to the world. We sing, we sing about it, right? The joy that bubbles up in your heart when you hear that familiar tune on the radio, just as long as it's not Mariah Carey's, all I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. The joy that, that you feel when you drive through a neighborhood that has come to life with twinkling lights, the, the joy of those kids running into the lobby and seeing that the train is up in the light box, the joy of, of families gathered together after long absences, the joy of seeing kids engage in traditions that you've had for generations, the joy of receiving a gift, the joy of giving a gift. Joy is everywhere. But I wonder if maybe it's better said that happiness is everywhere. Because there is a distinct difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on things or circumstances. Music, lights, traditions, gifts. But joy, joy is so much deeper than that. So this morning I wanna consider in a season that is filled with a lot of happiness. How do we make room in our lives to experience the true and deep joy of Christmas? First way I think is this, we make room for joy with expectant hearts. We don't have to look any further than Mary to see this on display. Mary was expectant, not expecting, although she was that too, but she was expectant for God to move in her life. Even before the angel arrives, Mary knew that God would one day send a deliverer. See, she was a devout Jewish woman. That means that she had a mom and a dad and aunts and uncles who would have told her story upon story about their God and what he had done for their people. 
She would have known that there was this man named Abraham and God sought him out and declared that he would be the father of God's people. He would have, she would have heard stories of their slavery in Egypt and, and God's deliverance there. She would have known about the times that they wandered through the desert in God's provision. She could have told you these stories. She knew what her God was capable of. And she also knew that in each and every one of those stories where Israel would have a good day and then Israel would kind of have a bad day, there was woven in there a thread that one day that up and down would be over because God would send a deliverer. And so this is what Mary is expecting. This is what all of the Jewish people are expecting. They're waiting for God to do the thing that he said he would do. Generation after generation would be wondering, was it, is it this year? Is it this month? Is it this day that God is finally going to rescue us? And so, you know the story. When this angel comes to this young teenage girl, and when he says, you're going to have a baby, and when he says this, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Those aren't just words, that's a, that's a prophecy coming to pass. That is the one thing that these people have yearned for for centuries, it's finally happening. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Go back to when you were 15. That's about how old we think Mary probably was, okay? You got it in your head? Are you 15 right now? Somebody down here, anybody? Yeah, you are, I knew it. Okay, so imagine right now, anybody, everybody got it in your head? You was 15, 15 year old Kristen, just got my braces off and was very intent on learning every move of NSYNC's Bye Bye Bye. I didn't need to pause for applause there. Okay, I'm just gonna make a note of that. Okay, so, so you're 15 years old. If I had heard that I was pregnant at that time, I would have, I would have spiraled, freaked out. Now, minus the pop music, Mary's probably not all that different. She is scarcely ready to become a mother. And this is not how she expected her life to turn out. And not just that, but think about what she must have felt. What will Joseph think? Will he believe me that I've been visited by an angel? That kind of stuff didn't happen. What will her family think? What will her community think? How will they respond? What kind of shame will this bring upon them? So if, if, if Mary responded with all those kinds of questions, we, we couldn't fault her. But that's not how she responds. Instead, she writes a song. Listen to what she says. This is in Luke chapter one. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who has, is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. That's an expectant heart. 
Mary's joy is rooted not in her circumstances. Her joy is directly connected to what God said he was going to do. And indeed, what God was doing in this moment within her, sending the Messiah, the one who the prophets foretold, who would once and for all rescue the people of God. So any shame, any embarrassment, any fear or anxiety about the future, all of that gets pushed aside because those are circumstances. Her joy is totally dependent on what God said he would do. And so her spirit rejoices. I wanna be more like Mary. I wanna be sitting on the edge of my seat expecting God to do the things he said he's gonna do. Don't you want that? I think there are two ways that, two hindrances to us having expectant hearts. The first is, is this, we don't actually know what God said he's gonna do, and we don't have eyes to see it when he moves. Do you know what God has promised you? Mary knew, she would have heard the words of the prophet, she knew the law, heard the stories. How can we know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God has promised to do for us? Seems kind of obvious, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Getting in his word. This is where God reveals his character to us. This is where he reveals his plans for us. This is where we see what he has promised to us. If we don't know God's word, how can we expect him to move? We're coming up on the new year, and this is a, a great time to make a commitment to get in God's word every single day. I'm not talking huge amounts of time. What about five or 10 minutes? You know, we have this, the Heartland app. There are Bible reading plans available to you on that app to make this very simple for you to get in God's word and consider what are the things he said he's gonna do? How can I know he's gonna move on my behalf? Get in God's word. Maybe you already know this book, Backwards and Forwards, so that's not really the problem. The problem is instead that you get so busy in your life, you don't have eyes to see when God is moving. I, I, we've been working hard on trying to help our children see God's movement in their life. And we had a really great opportunity for this recently. Our, our daughter has been struggling, just kind of missing her friends at home, a, a big move, leaving family and friends behind is not easy, especially on a little eight-year-old, tender-hearted girl. And we've seen her just really struggle to, to make those kind of connections. And, and it was a few weeks ago, maybe even a month or so ago now, she came home after a particularly hard day and she was you know, emotional and a little sad. And, and that night, Dan and I went to bed and we were just so burdened for her that we stopped and we asked, God, would you, even tomorrow, make a, give her a connection, help her know that she's loved, give her, give her a little buddy at school that she can feel known by. And that next day, I'm telling you, hops in the car at pickup. Mom, guess what? I have a new seat partner, and she's really nice, and she also loves cats. 
which is like the pinnacle, right, for an eight-year-old. Now, we could have in that moment chalked that up to coincidence, right? Or maybe an observant teacher who saw that that sweet new girl needed a friend. But why not point to the movement of God in our lives? And, and what a joy for us to get to say, you know what, Elin? We asked God last night that he would intervene in this way and praise the Lord he has. How wonderful to be able to share that with our children, that we serve a God who hears us when we call, who cares when we are in the midst of really difficult stuff, even big stuff and, you know, I just need a buddy. <laughs> Such a joy for us to get to see God's movement in our lives and to help other people see God's movement in our lives, right? Sometimes we need other people to show us what he's up to. I kind of love that when Mary and Elizabeth interact. That's also in Luke chapter one when Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And listen to how Elizabeth greets her. She reinforces Mary's expectant heart. This is what she says. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, you go, Mary. You knew what God said and you believed he would do it. We got to be that for each other. We got to encourage one another when we see God moving. And when I see that you're believing God, I'm going to say, you go, Mary, or whatever your name is. You, you, you expected God to do the thing he said he would do. And let's rejoice in the fact that he's doing it. We got to have eyes to see God's movement in our lives. It's too easy to miss out on the promises that he is answering every single day. We can, we can credit our own efforts, right? We can, we can credit coincidence or good luck, but instead we need to see daily provisions for your needs. Peace in the midst of an ever-changing world. Wisdom to make difficult decisions, strength to live another day. These are all ways that God is fulfilling his promises to you. What joy we miss out when we, we don't have eyes to see it. So let's make room for joy with expectant hearts. Something else that Mary models for us is, is to make room for joy by enduring hardship. We can rightly assume that that Mary went through a lot leading up to the birth of this baby. She was an unwed teenager with some splaining to do. She would have likely been ostracized by her community. Even, it, even when Joseph decided to step in and, and marry her anyway, we can, we can imagine that the shame that she endured those months leading up to this birth still would have been great. And she endured some physical hardship too. Those last few months of her pregnancy were not her time for her to sit back, rest, put your feet up. 80 mile trip on the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant. No thank you. Can you imagine how many times they would have had to stop for her to pee? Like, <laughs> that, that would have been a lot. And when they finally get to Bethlehem, all scripture gives us is this phrase. And the time came for her to give birth. Really? 
There is no way that is how Mary described it. <laughs> if you are, imagine, okay, so Luke is the guy that wrote this whole thing down. Imagine Mary sitting with Luke, and she says, so we're still about an hour outside of Bethlehem, and I'm on the back of this donkey, and I'm starting to feel a little bit of tightness, and I thought, maybe it's just Braxton Hicks, because my sisters and my friends, they told me, when is he, when it's time, you're going to know. And so I just kind of waited it out. I didn't want Joseph to get worried. And so then we kept going, and then all of a sudden, they were getting, we're coming to closer and closer together, and it was hard for me to talk through it, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, Joseph, I said, it's time, it's time, and he started running into the house, and he was running everywhere, and he couldn't find a space for us, and then he came back, and my water broke, and then the pressure was getting so intense, and... And Luke says, and the time came for her to give birth. <laughs> that time, that time brings pain. If you've had a baby, you know. Even if you've not had a baby, you know. We get it. Labor pain is insane. That's why everybody talks about kidney stones or abscess tooth like it was labor. You know, we, we get it. The Bible actually uses this to describe great pain, too. The prophets talk about the wrath of God like a woman in labor. Talk about how the earth is longing to be delivered like, like a woman preparing to give birth. So we understand pain, but we don't like pain. In our culture, it goes to great lengths to ignore and to minimize the hurt around us. We are encouraged to look on the bright side and find the silver lining, pull out your good vibes only t-shirt. That's not just our culture. You may have experienced that there's a version of Christianity that sounds an awful lot like that. Not good vibes only, God vibes only. I like that, actually. That might be a good t-shirt. Or this one you hear a lot. God will never give you more than you can handle. Too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> these the, these one-liners that well-meaning people offer to those who are in pain they're not helpful. They're not. They reinforce an expectation that life with Jesus is always up and to the right. But don't you know that life is hard? Don't you know that, that life with Jesus is still hard sometimes? Conflict in relationships that tear you apart financial burdens that seem insurmountable, medical diagnoses that scare you to death, disappointments because your life has not turned out the way that you thought it would turn out, contempt, ridicule, scorn because of your faith in Jesus. There will be plenty of moments where our lives are not marked by happiness. But if joy is truly something deeper, it must be possible for us to make space for joy even in the hardest times of life. I think that's what James is actually getting at. This is what he says in, in chapter one, verse two. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Are you in one of those many trials right now? Christmas 
can bring an elevated level of pain and loss for so many people. If you are right now grieving the loss of a loved one, you're thinking about all of these traditions and festivities with one less person, that can be unbearable. It might not be a physical loss, but an emotional, relational breakdown. And you have been left reeling and the last thing on your mind right now is how to be joyful. Maybe it is this moment right here. Right now, listening to talk of Mary having a baby, hearing about another person who's been pregnant, when all you long for is to be a parent. Listen, if you are in the midst of one of those trials, listen, consider it pure joy is not the same as be happy about it. It is okay to grieve. Sorrow and sadness do not reveal a lack of faith or trust in God. So making space for joy does not require you to pretend that the pain doesn't exist or to manufacture some artificial happiness making space for joy. It simply means believing that there is purpose in the pain. Jesus actually models this for us. The author of Hebrews says this, he says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was his joy to enter into that, but, but don't you remember that moment in the garden where he actually begs the Father to make another way? He didn't want to go through that pain, and yet he does. He endures. He endures the wrath of God that was poured out on him on our behalf because he knew there was purpose in the pain. He knew what his sacrifice would secure for you and for me. What joy there is in knowing nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. God can and will use whatever it is that you are walking through to increase your faith, to grow you in perseverance, to make you into the person that he intends you to be. Friends, endure the hardship. There's purpose in the pain. And listen, that pain will one day give way to joy. Jesus knew that, that's why he uses the picture of a woman in labor to, to encourage his disciples on this last night with them. Listen to what he says in John 16, 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And listen, no one will take your joy from you. 
with those words, Jesus offers to us the last way that we make space in our hearts for joy. We make space, we make room for joy with an eternal hope. So in this season, when we, we're thinking about Jesus' birth a lot, it's so interesting to me that Jesus connects the joy of his disciples not with his first coming as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, but their joy, he, he does not connect to that moment. He connects their joy to his second coming. For the disciples, their sorrow would come seeing Christ crucified. Indeed, that would be the world's darkest hour. But they would not know the end of the story. We know the end of the story, don't we? We know that their sorrow would only last for a few nights because there was joy coming Sunday morning. Isn't that right? We believe that. We see that. Because Jesus would not stay dead. He would return to his di disciples. And listen, he will return to us. And so hear Christ's words, no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. No, no, joy to the world, the Lord will come again. That is our truest joy. Our truest and deepest joy that no circumstance can take away no hardship can deter, is that we have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? If you're in this room or maybe joining us online, if you don't know that eternal hope, let today be the day that you turn to Jesus. Let's make room for joy, Heartland. Let's get in God's word, see what he's promised. Let's have eyes to, to see that for one another. And when we see God on the move, let's say something. Let's endure hardship, not put on a brave face, but have eyes to see there's purpose in the pain and we have an eternal hope found in Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord will come again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your reminder this morning, God, that our hope is in you alone and that that is where we find our truest joy. Lord, I ask that you would be with anyone in this moment right now who is walking a trial that you would remind us that you have purpose in the pain, Father, that you're seeing us through. Lord, we wanna be people who can show the world a deep and true and lasting joy, even when we're in pain, that we have a God who sees us, that is with us, that is on the move, and that we have an eternal hope found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.